This is God's word. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed myself and quieted my ambitions. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we are uh, a mixed bag of people today, looking to this time to be maybe a comforting time because of the, um, the grief or pain or sadness that has been a part of our life. We might be looking to this time as a time of thankfulness, of thanksgiving for joy and the answered prayers and the, and the blessings that we might attribute to you this morning. Or we might be looking at this time as a time to get some questions answered, to figure things out. Maybe we're even puzzled by the fact that we ended up here. How did that happen and do we fit in this place? Maybe doubts feel like they're bigger than any kind of faith that's underneath the surface. And from all these places, the truth is we sit here all more frail and all more broken and all more of a mess than we want other people to know. And you are the God of grace who meets people in their frailty. You move towards our mess and you moved towards our world, towards our messy, broken world when you came, suffered, and your son, Jesus, suffered for us on our behalf to take the frailty and brokenness on yourself to begin healing and restoring. Please begin and continue that work in our lives now as we listen to your gracious words. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Psalm 131 says in verse 2, as Kathy just uh, wonderfully read it, but I have calmed myself and quieted my ambitions. Calm and quiet. How often does that describe your life? I won't, I won't ask for a show of hands or, I have calmed myself and quieted my ambitions, calm and quiet. There's a lot of things in our lives that our grandparents wouldn't have predicted when they were our age, that there would be, there would need to be a whole new category of food. There, we can't just have food, we also need fast food. You ever think about how epic of a transition that is in humanity to decide that new category is needed? <laughs> that's us. That's our generation. That's the world we live in that our grandparents didn't when they were our age. Fast food. And then that wasn't fast enough, so they had to make drive throughs so you don't even have to stop your car. They can just throw it in as you drive by. Um, I was at... Um, you know, our grandparents wouldn't predict this kind of stuff when they were our age. I was at an Ash Wednesday service at the Cathedral for the Blessed Sacrament downtown. It's a beautiful, historic building. It's a building that, for me, one of the main reasons I go to worship services there midweek is that it's so filled with a sense of the sacred. And it's such a place to just sit in the quietness and in the, in the, 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 the beauty of it and the imagery, and to just sit in solitude or with others. 
Um, so I'm, we're sitting there in this Ash Wednesday service. There's tons and tons, hundreds of people in there for the service. And there's a particularly quiet, reflective moment towards the beginning when someone's cell phone begins to ring. And you know how that goes, right? The, of course, the volume's all the way up. The ring is probably the most annoying one you can imagine, and, and they can't find it, you know? So it goes the maximum length. And that one, it felt particularly long. The number, I think they have about 10 rings that, were, that happened. And so that feeling like, um, you get this once in a while in your life in different ways, that feeling like you just can't get away, you just can't escape the constant noise, the constant messaging coming in. And I know some of you have problems with this, because I do. And some of it we know is it's not just something out there. You know, it's not just that other terrible person that had their cell phone not turned off. You know, it could have been me in that same service. And I know some of you have the same problem too. I'm guessing some of you, maybe even this week, have checked your email while on the toilet. <laughs> Things our parents and our grandparents never would have guessed when they were our age. What is email? What, what can you imagine doing productivity while you're on the toilet? But that's how we live. And it becomes, quite frankly, kind of dangerous, some of the ways that this affects our lives. It becomes literally a danger to society. And you can talk to um, EMTs or firefighters who will tell you that now it's standard, standard fare in their profession every day expected to come up, come up on, a, on an accident where there's injuries or death and it was caused by someone, you know, messaging or taking a call, an email or checking Facebook. It's like we... It's like we're afraid to have any little gap of space in between this thing and the next thing. Maybe I'll be bored for like 10 seconds, so I better, I better do something. I better grab that smartphone and connect, right? We're cramming every second full of connection, and one of the results is just we, any sense of a, of a muscle that we might have had for solitude and for how to do that and for where to put that into our life has completely atrophied. For many of us. I know it's not 100%. I know that there's the other voice of my life is very alone. My life is filled with solitude. I wouldn't need connection, but today we're dealing with the other side of the coin. And, and when you live like this, this is what it is. We feel, it can feel like things are vibrant. It can feel like you're living very productive, but a life of constant connection is actually leaving, and you kind of know this, you get this. It's it's leaving your inner life starved. Your inner life is starved. Outside, it looks productive. It feels productive. It feels like things are happening. So we look today and we use this psalm and we, 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 take a, we examine our lives and say, are we maybe constructing a life out of, uh, out of like things scotch-taped together throughout the day without much thought? without much intentionality. A life of, of just pieces, barely connected together. There's no common thread. There's no architecture to your life. You could look back at 10 years and go, I was so busy, but what was I doing? What was the architecture? What was the foundation that brought meaning to the things? And you know, it's not just out there somewhere. Churches can be particularly bad at being a place of harboring and just giving you new 
sanctified ways to do the same thing and keep taping together a bunch of things without a foundation. Uh, Bill Hybels, in his book, Too Busy Not to Pray, he's a pastor from the Chicago area, he says, you can't become an authentic Christian on a diet of constant activity, even if the activity is all church-related. Ministry, Christian rock concerts, weekend conferences, church committee meetings, these all may be valuable, but they are not your main source of strength. Strength comes out of solitude. Decisions that change the entire course of your life usually come out of what he calls the holy of holies. When he uses that word, holy of holies, he's talking about having a, you know, a place, almost like a sacred place you go to, to disconnect with all that stuff that you're scotch taping together and to connect with something that's more foundational. And Jesus talked about the same kind of place. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, he was talking about the same kind of thing. When he says, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And what's particularly interesting about that is that the word he uses there, if you trace it back, is a word used for, in his time, a room that's in the middle of the house, and so it's sort of a storage closet room. It's a little room without windows. And so there's this sense of this feeling of, of really disconnecting. For many of us, that means powering down, right? Keeping devices and screens out of reach, having a sacred place to go. Suzanne Farnham, in her book, Listening Hearts, she put it well. The, the main question of, of having this kind of space and what happens there, she says, how can we distinguish God's voice from all the other voices that clamor at us? Those of our culture, peer pressure, our careers, our egos. Solitude is how. Solitude is that much, it's that much needed place where you can get some needed separation from the clamor, from the clatter, from the clutter of voices that are coming at you and the messages. So the question becomes, you know, there's all the stuff on the surface, but are you nurturing a listening heart? I love the title of that book that that quote just came from, listening hearts. Love that phrase. Are you cultivating a listening heart? Another great uh, writer about solitude, Henry Nouwen, says this in his book called The Way of the Heart. Solitude is not a private therapeutic practice. <clears throat> Rather, it is a place of conversion, a place where the old self dies and the new self is born, the place where the emergence of the new man and the new woman occurs. I love that. I love that idea that there's we're aware that there's a transition, there's a transformation we're looking for, there's a newness that we desire to be a part of our life. And if you're here at all, there's a sense in which you're, you're buying it at least a little bit, that, it, that that newness, that new life comes from Jesus, from the grace of God through Jesus. Solitude is that place where that's nurtured, that newness. Without it, there's always a danger that you're coming you're coming to be 
like the, this old ancient insult, you're, you're becoming a trifler. Anybody ever called you a trifler? I've never even really heard that insult until this quote that I'm about to read. So what happened was someone came to um, John Wesley, the, the great old uh, uh, minister, and it came to him and he said, my spiritual life is withering. What do I do? So Wesley said, oh, begin. Like, get, get on that right now. Begin. Fix some part of every day for private exercises. That's, his, that's how his advice starts to us, a spiritually withering soul. Oh, begin. Fix some part of every day for private exercises. You may acquire the taste which you have not. What is tedious at first will afterward be pleasant. Whether you like it or not, read and pray daily. It is for your life. There is no other way, else you will be a trifler all your days. I love that. Don't be a trifler. There is a sense, though, you know, man, you get these moments where you realize, am I... Am I a trifler? Is there sort of an inconsequential nature to what I'm packing together in my life? Like when the space shuttle went over our city on the back of another giant plane and it happened to come right over my house and I was on my roof to see it, a clear picture of it. But what did I do? I looked at it. I watched it through a tiny, tiny three-inch screen like this. And I was touching it to try to get the focus right so that I could send it out on Facebook. And then afterwards, I saw it going away. And I, re- I mean, I realized already on the roof standing there, I felt like a trifler, you know? I looked and I thought, I just missed that. <laughs> I got a great picture to send out on Facebook and I missed it. And I didn't experience what was right in front of me that I'll never have a chance to see again. Trifler. So, do you have a listening heart or a starved heart? And do you see the astonishing treasure of Psalm 131? But I have calmed myself and quieted my ambitions. I am like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child. I am content. You sense the deep inner calm? Do you want that? I can resonate with the calm, that sense of the quiet and the calm of a weaned child because um, we have a six-month-old who's on the other end of that spectrum ready to begin the process of being weaned. And, and a six-month-old child who's beginning to, to, to get to that, that phase is agitated. You know, every like three hours, and then as the weeks go by, it decreases to about two and a half hours, and if you don't get going on the, wean, on the solid food, it gets to like two hours. There's an ag- agitation. There's a demanding character to the cries that wasn't there before. There's a hunger for something more solid that'll last longer for this new phase of necessary growth. So how much solid food is your heart getting? You know, is there an agitation to your walk, to your life? Is there a, a demanding nature? Because there's a lot of stuff, a lot of kind of shallow and, and stuff that's maybe more for spiritual infancy that is in your life and you're ready for solid food and you just haven't encountered it yet. You haven't opened yourself up to it yet. You're hungry. 
demanding, agitated, insecure. Jesus said, many times he tapped into this metaphor where he basically said, I have come to be your spiritual food. You know, he said, I am the bread of life. Let me be your food. And when you prioritize solitude, it's not just, it's not just like, like Nowen said, it's not just therapeutic, it's not just that. Although it's good in and of itself, it gets you looking inward, it gets you introspective. But today we're talking about the solitude that looks to be fed by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. That in your life there would be you know, you, I got to figure you're either in one, you're in one of two places. You've either not yet tasted the goodness and the it, it, the goodness of God's grace to you through Jesus. You you've heard about it. You have some faith kind of um, getting primed. There's little seeds of it, but you still there's a great mystery when when we talk about God's grace and the gospel. It it hasn't yet set and connected. You don't feel like you've had a big taste of it or a gulp of it yet. So you're either there and you're hearing me talking and you're thinking, yeah, I would like to have some of that. I would like to know that feeling and that drinking deep from God's grace. Or you're in a place where you've had some tastes of it. And so I don't even have to try to convince you because you already know. Maybe reminders are good and all that kind of thing, but you already know how good that is. You already know how through Jesus you finally found something that settled the agitation of your life in very tangible ways. You've seen how you chase after this or that career, uh, affirmation, reputation, money, sex, and you go to these different things in your agitation to try to get filled and they don't fill you and maybe you hit some low point in that Maybe not, but maybe you hit a pretty low point and that's when you realized that when you go to God and when you probably through some rhythm of going to God regularly in a quiet place and finally listening and hearing and seeing your empty heart for the emptiness that it is, you see, oh my goodness, that's what it means that God is gracious. He answers that deep hunger and desire that I was going to this for and going to that for and going to this for. And God comes to you with validation and affirmation and grace and forgiveness that you don't deserve because you know, you've been running away from God to these things. And yet he gives it freely. He says, you don't have to worry. It is there for you. It is ready for you. It is yours. Know it. Believe it. Drink deep from it. One ancient writer Put it, and this sort of caught on so that it, we don't even know who said it anymore, but the quote is, live your life by the spout that the glory comes out. I like that because um, it's a kind of a drinking analogy and a thirsting analogy. And it also, it, there's some grace in it. Do you get the sense that you're not the one that produces the glory? You're not the one that produces the calm and the quiet. God has to give it. But the, so the best you can do 
is build into your life some habits of solitude so that you're just, you're there when it comes out. That's how it works. Sometimes it comes as a trickle. Sometimes it will flood you and you don't control that. You'll have times of dryness and going in solitude to God and there's nothing. And there's a way in which you'll find later on that God was preparing you for a flood. And God was working maybe on just your habits of staying in there even when it isn't flooding. But regardless, the best you can do is live your life by the spout where the glory comes out. And then the raging waters of your heart finally find a calm and a peace simply because you find in God's presence the real food for your soul. One more quote by Henry Nouwen. He says, Solitude is the furnace of transformation. Without solitude, we remain victims of our society and continue to be entangled in the illusions of the false self. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced the furnace of transformation? One person who did, I, just, I love his story, is Chris Heron. He's a, he, he's a former pro basketball player and college star. Um, and his downward spiral of his drug and alcohol addiction paralleled and, and grew along with his success in the NBA. So that eventually, all he had left of all of that was his addiction. And even to the point where his wife and kids were basically on the line unless he got help. And so he goes to this clinic and he checks himself in. Um, and one of the interesting things he realized later was that in all those years of addiction, he would take his toothbrush and his razor into the shower and he never was reflective enough to know why. He would shave and brush his teeth in the shower, he realized later, because he couldn't stand to look at himself in the mirror for 10 seconds. Let's talk about a, a solitude issue. So somehow he finally got checked into a treatment center and um, he got to the 45-day sober mark and his wife was about to give birth and so he discussed it with the people at the center and they said, you should just go a couple hours and then come back. And he said, no, I got this. I'm going to go and spend a few nights. And so he went. And by that evening, after seeing his new baby, he was high again and drunk again. And a couple days later, after his wife said, you leave now and you don't ever come back like this. And he went back and he asked if he could check back in. And so they met and talked about it. And the next morning he says... So they assigned me to what's called the pot sink. He said, and it was probably the best punishment anyone ever gets. This little spot from 5.30 a.m. in the morning to 10 at night, I could go to nowhere else but this tiny room. I had to wash dishes for the whole family for 20 days. And that little room is where I had to find myself to find my soul. That little room is where I had to sit by myself for hours and hours and hours and say to myself, am I a dad? Am I a husband? Am I a son? 
or am I a junkie? He says, you know, some people go on retreats, some people meditate. I got the pot sink. I found myself in this place. Let us pray. God, I pray that you would nurture and help us to find ways to nurture solitude. We experience the noise that you faced every day, people shouting, things banging, music making, dogs barking, messages arriving. And you, when you were here on earth, you pursued solitude for spiritual refreshment. We live in the noise and we feel like we rarely hear your voice. So we calm ourselves and we're going to make more time for you. This is our promise. Be gracious when we break it and meet us more often in private moments where our spiritual vitals can be taken and we can be refreshed. Amen.